is an illicit radio program. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome. Got a selection of good things on sale, stranger. Hello again, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the internet's favorite horror chat show, The Bazaar. This is episode 17. Tonight, I have with me Mitzi Serretto. She's a multi-genre fiction writer, and she's coming out with her new book, dipping those toes a little bit further into the horror world with Florida Gothic. She also has a blog, Errant Ramblings. Everything will be in the show notes. But before we go anywhere, a little bit of housekeeping as always. I mentioned last week I will be guesting on the Monster Guys podcast for their Halloween in July. Now the first episode's already gone up and we chat a little bit about Scarecrows, but by the time this comes out, I think the second episode on Masks will be out, so check those guys out. A link to the last episode in the show notes, that was a really good crack and they're great guys to listen to, so I highly suggest you hop on over there after you listen to myself and Mitzi. Now this week's listener leaderboards the united states takes it again with united kingdom in close second and then we have spain and then ireland so guys in ireland i'm very disappointed maybe i just wasn't listening to my own show this week and that's why i'm not near the top and then we have kazakhstan france poland pakistan russian federation finland netherlands australia italy hungary and Mexico so that's a nice little mix there so thanks everyone for tuning in hope you enjoyed it and you haven't been scared away I hope to see Kazakhstan again in the next episode but without further ado we will sit back relax and get right into the nitty gritties of the things so enjoy my chat with Mitzi Hello, Mitzi. Welcome to the show. How are you on this fine morning over in Washington? Hi, I'm fine. I'm fine, thank you. Just being a bit warm. We're having a heat wave this weekend, but I'm surviving. That's good. Yeah, no, I think everyone's having a heat wave. We had a heat wave there this week as well. It was like going through an Alabama swamp. It was so humid. (laughs) It was terrible. Yeah, that's the southeast of the United States. It's not a great place to be in the summer. Fortunately, that's not where I am. Yeah, yeah, no, because I, I was in San Diego last November as well, and I think they had that Santa Ana. Is it Santa Ana? Yes, yeah, Santa Ana winds. I've been through those, yeah. yeah. The ones that cause everything to burn down. Yeah, it was it was tough going because I was going around in a suit, and oh, it was rough. <laughs> a suit? Yeah, I think we're probably the only person in a suit. Yeah, you know, business, business cause, as they say. <laughs> so, Mitzi, would you like to give a little bit of background of who you are and what you do. I ask everyone this question, so don't be offended. It's just to give the give the audience a little bit of background. Well, let's see. Gosh, I'm sort of a Renaissance woman. What haven't I been doing? Um, well, I guess first and foremost, I'm an author. Um, I've written about um, two dozen books or so. I think I, I've actually lost count. Uh, I do multi-genre fiction. Uh, I do say multi-genre because I 
I don't write in one specific area. Uh, I like to bounce around and mix things up. So um, I do that. Um, I have a blog, which I hardly ever update, which I, which is shameful. Um, when I was living in the London area, I had a, a web TV channel called Mitzi TV. So that was quite fun. Um, since I'm not in London now, that's not happening. Um, and what else? What else do I do? Uh, try to keep out of trouble <laughs> and and really try to uh, keep writing. That's my whole life right now is books. That's great. And where are you from originally? Are you from Washington or... Uh, no, I'm from everywhere, uh, uh, which is sort of interesting because of my new book, Florida Gothic, but I actually grew up in South Florida. Uh, I've, I lived in California, Southern California, the LA area. I lived in the San Francisco Bay area. I lived in Seattle. Um, then I lived in the UK for many years. Um, in the UK, I lived in Sheffield. I lived in the East Midlands. I lived in uh, Greater London. Uh, then I ended up coming back to the States for a bit. Uh, I was in Florida. I was in uh, the greater Atlanta area. And now I'm in uh, Northwest Washington State, Pacific, uh, the Pacific coast. So where are you off to next on your travels? I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit tired now. <laughs> <laughs> so what actually did bring you all around the place? Are you primarily an author or is there some other work or anything that got you moving around so much? Oh, you know, the moving around thing uh, is, is um, it's all very strange. Um, I mean, before I moved to the UK, I was just going all over the place. Uh, in the UK, I just moved around because I just moved around. Um, I ended up uh, back in the States when my mother passed away, and I'm, I'm sort of uh, kind of stuck here for now trying to decide what to do, um, you know, which country I might be better off in, and I'm, I'm waiting to see how things play out on that score you know, between the UK and the US. And is that mainly got to do with the political climate right now that you're a bit <laughs> apprehensive of staying? Yeah, you could say that. I mean, just to see, you know, how how, how life's going to pan out and, and uh, if it's really feasible to stay in one place or return to the other place. You know, it seems like both places are, are in the same par right now. So I'm wondering if I should find a new country. <laughs> Yeah, sure. The Emerald Isle, Ireland isn't too bad. Yeah, you know, I'd consider it. I'd consider it. Yeah, but the problem is with Brexit, now my uh, my British passport won't be EU for much longer, will it? Oh, yes, that is correct. You'll yeah, be... I'll be up the proverbial creek there. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what Brexit was all about now. I think they've uh, put themselves up the creek. <laughs> <laughs> of course, they always do that. Yeah, but you know, this is, as as we just said off air... <laughs> We don't want to get too much into the politics. We want to get into the nitty gritties. Of, the fun stuff. Of Florida Gothic. Do you want to yes. talk a little bit about what that is? I... Uh, well, how that book came about, it's it's really interesting because uh, last spring I took one of my, uh, one of the things I've done in the States is I've taken marathon road trips. Um, and I mean marathon, being on the road for weeks and weeks uh, from coast to coast. So last spring, I took a marathon road trip from the southeast United States all the way up to the Pacific Northwest, all through um, British Columbia, and then all the way back again. Uh, and when I was on this road trip, it seems like, you know, the minute I'm, I'm, I'm on the open road and I'm not in a city, it's like my mind opens up and I start getting ideas. And I started to get an idea about doing a series of horror novels based on uh, set in various locations as part of a series, but each one being freestanding. 
And uh, so I had several ideas. I was jotting down ideas when I get to my hotel and everything. And initially, I wanted to start the one that's set in New Mexico. But the Florida one, which I had no intention of doing a Florida one, it was like it kept grabbing me around the throat and forcing me to write it. And, you know, I had to go with that because the ideas were just you know, virtually banging me on the head. And that's when I started to write the Florida Gothic book, which is uh, set primarily in South Florida, uh, South Beach, Little Havana, bit of the Everglades, Naples. Uh, and uh, so that's that's basically where I started to get the idea for this new series. Could you give us a little taste of what might be in the book for the reader besides just the location? Sure. Well, um, the main character, Ernesto, is a uh, Cuban-American gentleman who lives in Little Havana. He's he's um, retired. He's a widower. Um, he's also lost his daughter. And uh, he's he's had a lot of losses due to misfortune. And uh, what happens is one day he's um, walking home from his favorite watering hole, and he, he's had a little too much to drink, and he makes the wrong turn. He's disoriented, and he goes through the wrong neighborhood, and uh, he gets hit by a car, or rather a Hummer, a big-ass Hummer, and he's not entirely dead when a um, an alligator comes out of the canal that he's near. They do have alligators around there, and uh, finishes him off. But the issue is, is Ernesto doesn't quite die. Right. <laughs> he's still He's still with us, and he's pissed off. <laughs> he starts thinking about all these things that happened and about his his only child, his daughter, who was killed by a drunk driver. And uh, he decides, uh, you know, he needs to start doing something about it. And essentially, that's what he does. Jeez, that sounds very eventful uh, end of life there for Ernesto. <laughs> Fair play to him. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, basically, yeah, he, he's he's going around uh, getting his revenge and basically watching himself decompose. <laughs> oh, great. And so where did you get the idea for that? If you, when I, you're on the road. I, it, it just, it just um, developed. I mean, you know, things just come out of the blue and Ernesto came out of the blue. Yeah, well, that sounds quite good because I know you were offering me to read the book for review, but I said it'd be easier and quicker turnaround because i'm very bad for the books as i mentioned i've yeah i've had i've been given loads and loads of books so i couldn't promise a, a speedy review because i know it's releasing very soon isn't it the 27th? yes is that correct? yes uh when is the 27th i think that's tuesday the ebook will be out first and then uh the print version probably maybe a week later something like that uh, early july i would say which early early july is lurking on our doorstep as we speak but yeah yeah i'm, I'm really excited about it i mean um it's different from anything i've done i haven't done a 100 percent pure horror novel before i mean i've incorporated elements of horror into books but not gone full on and so i you know i was thinking well i'm, I'm curious you know I'm, i mean i'm confident in it and i always try to put out something that i'm confident in but i was thinking well how are other people going to react especially perhaps people who are really hardcore horror people and i have to say i was really pleased because i uh, had asked for some endorsements from authors and i got a fabulous endorsement from peter straub 
who's a huge, huge, huge name in horror. And he just kept saying to me, goes, he says to me, I never saw that coming. I never saw that coming. So I thought, well, I guess that's an endorsement, isn't it? (laughs) It must be if some big name in horror isn't seeing where it's going. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And God knows, you know, he's written tons of books. You know, he's had stuff adapted for major major motion pictures. And And if I surprised him, I figure maybe, you know, this is a good thing. Great. No, that's very good. And because I was just going to ask, you answered my preemptive question already. Since this is your first horror and you mentioned you're multi-genre writer, how sort of wide is the scope of the genres? Could you give us a little bit of insight into what kind of books you've written? Um, well, you know, a lot of people seem to assume that I'm primarily a writer of erotic fiction. Now, yes, I have written erotic fiction and I have incorporated erotic content into books, but I think that sells me short and sells short a lot of the books that I do because they're not really that and that's not really their audience. So, um, but okay, we can say for, for argument's sake, yes, I've, I write erotic fiction. Um, I write Gothic fiction. Uh, I've done some sci-fi fantasy parody. I do love parody. Um, I did a pride and prejudice parody. It's, it's sort of like Benny Hill meets Jane Austen, <laughs> Pride and Prejudice, Hidden Lusts. Um, I've I've got a uh, cozy mystery series that I have um, co-written with my famous bear, Teddy Tuttleu. So most people who know me know Teddy. So that's another genre there. Uh, and that's got a lot of satire in it as well. And um, what else have I done? Uh, really, you know what just bounces all over the place? Whatever, whatever the, wherever the wind blows me. Yeah. So what would be the creative process then, seeing as you like multi-genre, do you kind of sit down an idea pops into your head and you try and adapt it? Or how would you go about writing a book? Um, I don't try to adapt to anything, which might have been my downfall through life because I refuse to adapt. <laughs> but um, no, I just uh, go, I just sit down and start writing and I see where it goes. I mean, I don't, um, I don't really do outlines like most people, you know, you hear authors who say they outline everything from start to finish. I That's too restrictive for me. I prefer just to, you know, go with the flow. Uh, I might jot down some ideas and things I want to explore or I'll get an idea for a scene. But um, I don't necessarily start out with one particular thing. When I started Florida Gothic, I had no idea where it was really going to go. Um, I knew it would be horror, but you know, it ended up having a lot of grittiness into it, which, uh, you know, some, some people, you know, who had looked at the, um, the proof had mentioned that the, it's gritty. And I suppose it is that, I mean, really, I, I don't necessarily follow any type of a pattern. That's okay. That's good. Not to have a pattern. <laughs> Sometimes you get the best well, yeah, out of because- it. You know, I I feel like, you know, I'd be bored stiff if I had to keep writing the same kind of books again and again. And I think that uh, it would stifle me as a writer. That's a fair point, to be honest, because a lot of people, they kind of get fed up within the genre. And then if you're reading similar stuff and you're like, oh, no, someone stole my idea. At least you have the freedom to break away and just do a new genre as you please you could even cross genres that maybe normally wouldn't be seen 
Well, exactly. The cross genre thing is something I really like. And um, actually, funny you mentioned about the the idea thing. But um, I've I've had um, books come out years ago that had a specific idea, and then you start seeing, oh my God, everybody's suddenly doing this same idea, and you know, that's kind of annoying because you know I try not to ever do what someone else is doing. But this is an industry right now where, you know, if one thing works, then suddenly 9 million people are doing the same thing. Yeah, that is fairly true, especially with movies as well. Like if anything would have a good idea, like that just completely off tangent, but the, you know, the fidget spinners that are around the place currently, have you seen those? Which one? The fidget spinners that all the kids have. It's like a little circle that they spin in their fingers. Oh, no, I don't really hang out with kids, so I probably wouldn't have noticed. <laughs> I'm very surprised that you haven't seen them falling from the sky. They're absolutely everywhere, but it's just caught on like a virus around the place. So it's just like yeah. ideas in sort of media, definitely, because, you know, when those big blockbusters come out and there's like near, nearly a mirror movie comes out from another studio around the same month. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. Like crazy, which is really... Well, just, exactly that yeah, and yeah. publishing is really publishing's i think even worse is it these days no, I'm, I'm not really in the so. i'm not in the publishing circle so how do you find it given that everyone can set up now and publish on amazon and stuff you don't exactly have to go through a big publishing house how do you find it as an author trying to get penetration and getting the word out there you know, there's it's it's a blessing and a curse. Um, it, it's opened the door to authors who can finally tell publishers to bugger off, and, and a lot of times that's what they need to be told. But on the other hand, uh, you, you know the expression "Sunday afternoon painter." We now have a bunch of Sunday afternoon writers or authors, and they're all publishing. And really, maybe they should have kept this as a hobby. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably true. I've I've read a few books now recently, and that's why I, I wouldn't say hesitant, but I'd be very careful in the type of books I, I take on now because I've been burnt a few times reading something that would be less than desirable to be actually out in the open, but I won't name names. So I'm no. hoping Florida Gothic, since it's got a few good endorsements, I'm definitely going to have to jump into that and get a review out for yourself. Well, yeah, I, I, that'd be great. I mean, I, I mean, you know, I've been at this gig for a while. I mean, I started to get professionally published around, I, I could say, the turn of the century, <laughs> because it was the turn of the century just before the turn of the century. So, I mean, you know, I've paid my dues and I've worked with many publishers and uh you know, so I've I've done both routes, the independent route and the traditional route. But, you know, when people haven't paid their dues and they suddenly just wake up one day and say, I'm going to be an author and I'm going to publish on Amazon, um, you know, it's, it's diminishing a lot of quality of material out there. Uh, it is dragging things down because a lot of people are just so desperate to have a book claimed to be sold that, you know, it started this whole thing with all the free books or the 99 cent books. And, you know, that's not helping, the, you know, the, the industry as a whole. It really isn't. Yeah. Would, is it a case of it's harder to put bread on the table if you're a full-time author? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, <laughs> don't even go there. I mean, I, I think there's, a, there's some horrible statistic about authors and they're basically all below the poverty line. Yeah, but you're doing it for the craft and the art. Isn't that Trump's all excuse the pun there? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, in this case, it's it's more to the point like, well, what the hell else am I going to do now? <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough. And just going back, so how did you get into the writing? Were you, uh, I suppose, trained up in writing or did you just take it up one day and then paid your dues as you were alluding to? Or how did you start? Well, you know, when I was a child, I was an, I w- I'm an only child and I was always extremely creative and um, I had three different areas, all of which I seemed to have a talent for. I had a talent for music, I had a talent for fine art, and I had a talent for writing. And so growing up, I was always doing all three. You know, I'd be playing instruments, I'd be writing songs, I'd be writing stories, I'd be writing poetry, I'd be drawing, I'd be painting. Um, and this kind of continued for most of my life. I, you know, I was basically hold myself up in my bedroom and was just doing creative stuff. Uh, So I had initially thought that I would have a career in fine art. (laughs) There's another lucrative profession for you. (laughs) And so, um, you know, I started to study art and design and I was going in that direction. And, you know, actually, you know, my mother put the idea in my head. She says, well, you know, can you really (laughs) go anywhere as an artist? (laughs) Which is which is true. And I decided to do a a journalism degree. And uh, I just realized journalism wasn't really my thing. I mean, I have done the occasional article here and there, but uh, I finished journalism school. And the one thing it did was really start me back to the fiction writing. And uh, so I started to write some books. Meanwhile, I continued to paint. And at the time, I was living in the San Francisco area. And I did have an, uh, have some of my work shown uh, at, at some shows in, in San Francisco. But I ended up selling a book. And uh, that kind of decided me that maybe this is what I need to do. If I did sell a book and I did not sell a painting, perhaps that's telling me something. So you, you couldn't straddle between the two and keep them both up? Is that too hard? You know, the kind of paintings I did were paintings I labored over for quite a long time. I mean, I had a painting that took me a year. So, and considering galleries, you know, they take 50 to 60% of of what the painting sells for. It's almost as bad as the publishing industry where you get 7% on the, you know, list price. So I suppose in a way they're both crap. But uh, no, I just, I just had to make up my mind at one point what I needed to do. Okay, and how you're publishing through Amazon now, but you also have, there's a publishing company you're with currently as well, is it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've had many, many publishers. I mean, uh, I'm the uh, Florida Gothic is uh, through Strange Brew Press, which is an imprint of Midnight Rain Publisher, uh, Publishing, which is an independent imprint. But um, I've published with um, Random House, and um, I think I've got some e-books with Simon & Schuster, uh, Got, uh, Serpent's Tail, uh, Cleus Press, uh, Thunder's Mouth Press, which is unfortunately no longer around, which is a shame because the gentleman who was the publisher was a wonderful publisher. <laughs> right. And would you notice uh, a divide, we'll say, between physical copies and digital copies? Would you know the divide on that right now? Or what would you kind of prefer personally? Well, you know, I I get a lot of uh, newsletters, none of which I seem to have time to read, but I get all the industry letters like from Publishers Weekly and everything. And and there's all this stuff saying that ebooks are sort of on the decline and people are returning back to the actual book they want to hold in their hands. 
I don't, I don't really know. You know, I mean, the people, people, people nay say the digital books, they nay say the Kindle reader, but I mean, you can, you have all your books there and you could just go anywhere you want. So I think there's room for both. And I think they're both great as long as people are, are reading books. I think that's, that's the main thing. However they want to read it, whatever they, you know, however they want to do it is fine. Just buy the books. <laughs> Yeah. And so what were the last three books that you've bought and read? So on that note. Oh, dear. I, I'm I'm really bad. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know. I am a big user of the public library. But unfortunately, I end up having to recheck things out three times because I can never finish because I never have time to read recently. So um um, I can't even answer that right now. I've got a, I've got a couple of digital copies sitting on my laptop that um, I've promised to review for some people. And I never do reviews, but it's sort of a personal favor thing. <laughs> yes, that's kind of what happened myself. I never used touch books, but uh, for some reason, I've gotten the floods of it now, which I love reading. But between the day job and everything else, you know, this is just a hobby for myself. So it's great to actually it's get so, to chat with people. Yeah, it's it's rough. I mean, I have my books next to, on my on my nightstand, and by the time I start reading, it's after midnight, and I'm falling asleep like after ten minutes of of reading. So you can see how long it's taking me to get through a book these days. Yeah. So staying up till twelve, what would be a typical day in the life of Mitzi? Um, well, summer is a bit weird because as I, as I was saying to you before this, these long days, I'm not getting the sleep that I should get. Um, but I'm normally I I'm up to at least midnight. Um, I used to be up to one, one but I'm trying to stop that because I don't want to, you know, <laughs> either not get enough sleep or oversleep, but, uh, I get up in the morning, um, get the social media stuff out of the way and, and start working and, uh, stop for a while and eat dinner and then I, I do a bit more work and crash with Netflix or something in the evening. I'm usually so tired in the evening, so I don't have a very exciting life. I try to get out once in a while and have a nice day out if the weather's good, go somewhere interesting. That's good, yeah. So if you haven't been reading books, what has, what has been on Netflix for yourself? It's the last three films you've seen. Um, well, I'll, you know, I've got into some of the... Um, foreign series some of the foreign crime cop dramas which i'm enjoying I, I think i've probably seen all the finnish ones all the french ones um i think i saw a couple of ice stuff. the icelandic ones i if you ask me the name of them i wouldn't even remember anymore because i just wh whatever pops up i watch it <laughs> yeah and would you draw much like where would you draw your inspiration from would it be from other media or does it just come from the ether it comes from the ether, but sometimes I'll be watching something and it might trigger a thought. And it's not necessarily specific to what I'm watching, but it'll give me an oblique idea for something else. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. So being a horror podcast, what would be one of your favorite horrors or horror moments? Or do you have any spooky paranormal stories from your childhood or anything like that? Um, well, there's, there's a lot to say on that one. Um, you know, actually, if you, if you want to get into paranormal, I, I did have an experience, not a childhood. I don't really remember anything other than the boogeyman under the bed thing. I do swear there was somebody under the bed, <laughs> but I think every kid probably swears that there was someone under the bed. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I did have an experience in, um, in Seattle in the late nineties. Um, I had, and I had, um, 
been hospitalized and had some surgery and I was, I was recovering, but I was, you know, I wasn't like on any drugs or anything at the time or painkillers. It was, it was all that was done with, but I woke up, it, it was probably one or two in the morning. I kind of shot up, you know, like you're lying down and you suddenly bolt up in bed that I remember that. And I swear my grandmother, my grandmother was in my face looking at me. And then I saw her face fading, fading, fading away from me. And I was wide awake. That's like the most strangest thing that's ever happened to me. And I can't attribute it to any kind of, you know, like I was dreaming because I was not dreaming. I was not on painkillers. But, you know, that's that's the um, sort of a ghost story of my own because she was dead for many years by that time. Yeah, that's rather spooky. Was, is that just an outlier? Is that once off in your life? Or are you some sort of medium in disguise? <laughs> No, I don't want to be a medium. No, um, no, that was that was a one off. It was a one off. And I don't know how that came about. Perhaps she was checking up on me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Well, maybe she inspired you subconsciously to go into horror at some stage. You never know. No, no, actually not. I used to when I was a kid, I loved horror. Yeah. What would be some of the highlights? So from your childhood? Oh, God. Well, I, I would read any horror novel I could get my hands on. I, I loved all the um, classic horror horror movies. You know, I probably anything that was a, a Dracula film, I probably saw just about every version of it, um, which is sort of funny, just as an aside. But my late stepfather was actually born in Transylvania. Oh, very good. I don't know if that had anything to do with things, <laughs> but uh, no, I just I just um, really enjoyed horror as a child. So I suppose that I'm surprised it's taken me this long to focus on it as an author. You know, I, I, I should have probably have done this years ago. Mm. I, you've mentioned there's a few sort of books in the gothic sort of realm. Why would you focus on gothic as opposed to any other subgenre of horror? Um, you know, I just, I, that again, uh, childhood reading matter. I mean, uh, I loved the Gothic novels, you know, this spooky mansion, um, you know, it's, it's, it was usually like a governess or someone going to this mansion and there's this, you know, tormented man who has the mansion kind of things. Uh, I used to just consume those books and my mother did as well. So yeah, that was my, that was my growing up books of choice. Good. And then when you were in England, is that where you bumped into Ashley Lister? Um, I knew Ashley before I moved to England. We were, um, as as authors, we sort of uh, chatted off and on through social, not through email and whatnot. And then when I moved to England, I met up with him and, you know, we've just been friends for years. I mean, I've been his, you know, guest in his home many times. Um, we had a very funny Valentine's Day weekend at his house where we watched horror movies all weekend. <laughs> That's very cute. <laughs> yeah, I even did a blog about it, about the romantic Valentine's weekend watching, you know, it was one of those Hannibal films, the one about the young Hannibal, that handsome French actor who played him. Oh, yes, <laughs> like, yes. isn't this great? Isn't this romantic? So they're drinking wine and watching horror movies <laughs> with the dogs. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Just a bit of context for you, the audience. Ashley Lister also does reviews for UK horror scene. So that's the connection there. Yeah, and uh, he's he's supposed to review a Florida Gothic as well, so I hope he likes it. <laughs> oh yeah, well if he's going to be reviewing it for UK Horror Scene, he can uh, 
take it off my hand so and i'll just read it privately and tell you my thoughts <laughs> okay <laughs> we, we don't want the double exposure sometimes. oh i don't mind double exposure is good well, yeah we could do that i could yeah we'll work yeah you, you can review it every place else that's fine you could go into the street corner in dublin with the with copies of the book or printouts to, to go order it <laughs> oh yeah no it should be good fun and then you had mitzi tv what was that about then um, that was just, uh, that came about when I was living in greater London. Um, you know, at the time, a lot of people were getting into vlogs, you know, video logs and web TV. And I figured, well, what the hell I'll do it too. Cause I mean, some of the stuff was so horrible. I thought I can't possibly be worse than what I'm seeing. <laughs> so <laughs> I decided to go ahead with it. And, uh, I, I, I don't even know how I found this cameraman, uh, somebody, on social media hooked me up with a cameraman and we went to met met at a pub in Leicester Square and that was it he says okay fine I'll I'll do your camera stuff and and we just started to shoot stuff and um I think I did a total of six videos uh really fun stuff uh one was a pub sing-along um which you don't have anymore you know that sort of died out in Britain and in London especially but there was still this pub over um near the Edgware Road and they had, you know, sing-alongs and there were some awesome people there. So we did one there. That was the first one. Um, I did one on a, uh, a car show and that was great fun because I got to meet um, uh, Jimmy Chu, the shoe designer. He had a shop there and I interviewed him and uh, Tiff Needell, the race car driver. I did an interview with him for that. That was fun. Let's see, what else have I done? Uh, I did one of a bunch of Morris dancing guys. I did one of, uh, with a bunch of Harley Davidson uh, aficionados in, in Surrey. That was fun because I got to ride on the Harley for a few minutes. <laughs> it's yeah. nothing like sitting on the Harley, I'll tell you. Um, and uh, what else did I do? Uh, God, my brain's gone. Uh, I did one where I was trying to find jellied eel. <laughs> That's kind of famous because I still get people telling me they never forgot my expression, eating the jellied eel. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, that was foul. That sounds foul, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, it was nasty stuff, nasty stuff. I'll take eel and sushi, grilled sushi, uh, grilled eel for sushi, but not jelly eel, no. Mm. And then what made you sort of leave England then at that time? Well, uh, when well, actually, my mother passed away, so that's how I ended up having to leave. <laughs> okay, so you didn't end up coming back after that? No, I haven't been back for quite some time. Uh, and I've just, uh, you know, I can't even, I, I don't even want to get on a plane right now. I mean, I've been traveling a lot, but I, I basically go everywhere that I can drive to. I don't care how far it is. I mean, I've chalked up 40,000 miles in the last um, three years or so. Wow, that's, that's a lot of mileage going. Yeah, I, I like it. I love driving. You know, it just put me in the car and put me on the open road. I'm cool. So how many years overall do you reckon you've been writing? Um, well, I don't know if you want to count my my uh, childhood and teenage endeavors, but um, professionally... Yeah, professionally, we'll say, yes. Um, 1998 I started. Okay. So Coming what's that? 20, 20 years. Right, yeah, I guess so. So in all those years, was there ever a stage where you nearly packed it all in or anything like that? You know, it's one of those things where if you start letting yourself think that, it, it's not easy to keep going. I mean, I will say that. But uh, 
I don't know. I don't really want to pack it in. I'm I'm stubborn. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Like, but I I suppose to follow on from that, what would have been your biggest critique that you've gotten that maybe would have knocked you a bit? Or has everything generally been positive? Have you been avoiding the trolls? Oh no, I don't. Unfortunately, the trolls are still there. I mean, I've got I've got some reviews on Amazon that look like. Oh come on, you know who who put who put this together? You know, but you know you have to also realize that this business can get nasty enough that people do write bad reviews against competitors, and there's been some big name authors who were busted for doing that. Oh really? Could you, oh yeah, there was without naming names. Could you give a few stories? Well, I wish I could remember the guy's name, but it was actually headline news in the UK. He was a respected British author, and uh, apparently he set up sock puppets to write bad reviews of competing books, and he got busted for it. But, um, you know, despite the publicity, I think he's still writing. <laughs> so apparently he's not been affected by it. Um, so that was one. I, I wish I could remember his name, but I think if you Google, you'll probably find the articles. Um, and there's been others. There's been others as well. And then there's those that we probably don't know who's behind them. But um, unfortunately, that's just the way it is. It's it's in a way, it's the same thing as when people write bad reviews from for products. I understand that a lot of companies have people write reviews against competing products to bring them down. So that's just the way it is. Yeah, like, I mean, a lot of things now, I think, is Amazon, do they bring in that you have to be like a verified uh, consumer? Like, you can't just review unless you've bought it? Supposedly, but I don't know if that's really fielded the bad reviews because somebody may have bought it anyways. You know, same thing with uh, with some of these, with these book reviewers. Um, yeah, does that go you, back you, to the 99 cents or free book problem, do you think? Yeah, well, you know, the problem is, is I don't understand what's happened to, to our, our culture, but civility seems to be gone. Um, if you don't like a book or you don't like a film or whatever, fine, you don't like it. But it's it's like, who do these who are these people that have so much time to write such scathing, negative reviews? I, I mean, what, why the nastiness? And there seems to be a lot of nastiness out there right now. Well, it's because no one else is listening. It's this sort of online tribalism that's appeared in the last couple of years, which is rampant, as you can see with the Trump administration and all those followers and disinformation and everything happening online. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just uh, negativity and, and mean, mean-spiritedness. Um, and, you know, I mean, I've read things that I don't like, I'm not going to spend my valuable time tearing it down online. I mean, maybe somebody else might like it. Maybe it wasn't to my taste. Or if it, if if the book is just bad, the book is just bad. But I'm still not going to waste my time, you know, going on and on and on about it. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's as if they just want to tear you down. Uh, perhaps it's one of those things that these people don't have the talent to do it themselves or the skills. So they're jealous and they hate the fact that someone else does. Well, I think it's kind of a case of like, there's a lot, it's easier now to get exposure, but then the people giving out are like the vocal minority and they can take away from, you know, the thousand people that silently enjoyed it. Like you're less likely to leave a good review if you've enjoyed it. But usually people lash out. You'd always see with like restaurants and stuff when you see reviews and someone would say got to put it nicely, got food poisoning. 
and they go on the Facebook page and start ranting or whatever. Yeah. Within the yeah, yeah. Actually, that is very true. I noticed that even like uh, sometimes you'll have like reviews of doctors online and you'll see these people saying, oh, my God, this person was horrible and this and that. And then I've gone to the same doctor and I'm thinking, well, this person spent plenty of time with me. They seem very competent, but I guess I'm not going to have the time to go and write a review. So it's like, yeah, exactly. There's there's always that one person. And then, you know, it's it's a shame because you, you do want to hope that people will not necessarily take those views to heart, but you have to wonder how many sales might you lose from these reviews. Mm. But on that sort of topic, is there any book that you'd recommend to people? Oh, my gosh. You know, there's just books that I've read that I, are my all-time favorites. Um, I mean, when I was uh, lecturing in creative writing, I always like a, gave a book list to people and told these to, told my students, read these books because there's they're just you know, you'll, you'll see something from these books. So, I mean, I'm not going to necessarily mention something recent, but, uh, books that I feel are really worth reading. Uh, Lolita by Vladimir, Vladimir Nabokov is an awesome book. Uh, the color purple by Alice Walker, uh, the God of small things by Aaron Dottie Roy. What's, uh, hang on. Uh, gosh, I'm trying to think now. <laughs> I didn't have my, all my list here. Uh, the Jungle by Upton Sinclair. Uh, American Tragedy by Theodore Dreiser. I mean, these are all books that have been written. Uh, some are more recent. Some are classic. Those are just books that are awesome to me. Uh, Bonfire of the Vanities is a fabulous book mm, as yeah. well. You know, so they did a film of it, which was sort of a so-so film, but it's just a great, great book. I mean, I, I love books that sort of show society for what it is. Um, and you don't get to see a lot of that, especially in, in, in the United States. Mm. So at home, would you have a big library or would all the moving do books have to be left on the shelf? Or how does that work for yourself? Uh, sadly, I had to get rid of a lot of books when I came back from the UK. Um, and I had a nice library there. And so all my all the uh, all the high street uh, charity shops did really well off of me. <laughs> I had these wonderful hardcover books, uh, a lot of things I got because I was a, I was a lecturer. So publishers would send me free books, which was really nice. <laughs> so I really built up a great library. So I mean, I couldn't, you know, the cost of shipping overseas is substantial. So I had to get rid of a lot of books. So uh, right now, um, my library is rather sparse, and I probably still have a lot of my own author copies, which uh, I keep schlepping around <laughs> if I'm not doing an event and selling them, you know? Yeah. Well, we got a little glint there. You said you were lecturing. What do you lecture in? And where? Creative writing. And where was that? Uh, well, I lectured um, for some years at the University of Derby in uh, Derby, England. I've, uh, I was an associate lecturer there. Uh, I also was a guest lecturer at Roehampton University in London uh, and also the University of East London. I was a lecturer uh, with lifelong learning at the University of Sheffield Great. in Sheffield, England. And how did you get into the lecturing? Is that part of the reason when you went over to England or have you always been an educator? No, I never did anything. And it's as if I, when I moved to England, it, uh, the opportunities were just falling into my lap, uh, which is one of the things that's really making me seriously consider, you know, uh, moving everything back again and going back. But uh, I just, um, 
I was working on a master's at the time and uh, I had a, a random encounter with someone I, I met online who was a teacher and I found out she lived a block away from me, which was in Sheffield, which was really bizarre. So we ended up hooking up and becoming friends. And she said, well, uh, Darby is looking for some lecturers and I have to retire, she says. And, you know, I thought, so I guess, you know, I, I think they've changed the, the laws there a bit on the um, forced you know, retirement for age, because it was pretty ageist. Uh, so anyways, I just met the gentleman who was running the creative writing program and essentially was brought on to lecture in creative writing. Uh, I mean, I'm not like I wasn't standing up there lecturing about uh, Shakespeare or anything like that. But I, I did a lot of workshops, writing workshop courses and uh, developed those. Yeah. So that just uh, segued into uh, other lecturing jobs. And I was actually turning down work at one point. Jesus, how bad. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, I'm sort of thinking, hmm, yeah, I, I probably should have stayed there. But uh, I left Derby when I moved down to the London area. So I, in retrospect, I wish I hadn't done that. But, you know, you can't turn the clock back. Yeah, of course. And was there any little prodigies coming up through the ranks that you saw in your time lecturing? Oh, yes, yes. I mean, I have to say, I had some really, really fine writers and you know what i loved about it is everybody was very uh, shy to call themselves a writer which perhaps is a british thing because in the states everybody here says they're a writer and it's it's a bit you know overkill but over there these people really were talented writers and uh, i was doing an anthology for serpent's tale or rather it was my anthology serpent's tale bought it called getting even revenge stories and one of my students at darby wrote a story uh, and he didn't expect that I would take it. And I did take it. And, uh, oh, that was great because, I mean, like, uh, we even got covered in the press for that. But, you know, I one of my students was published. And so that was really nice. So so I published him. I also had someone else that I met uh, who I published in an anthology. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh a lot of the students I'm still in touch with, you know, on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, it's interesting to see where they've what they're doing with their lives. Uh, some are still writing. Some have gone into sort of related fields like journalism or PR. Uh, and some are nowhere near writing. So, All right. That's good. So that's a, a nice segue ourselves to ask, do you have any advice to anyone in the audience who might be contemplating putting pen to paper or fingers to the keyboard? What would you say for them to get started with writing? Oh, well, <laughs> I'd say go get a go do a plumber certificate <laughs> <laughs> or electrician certificate. Um, you you know we always are going to need books, so and and people do die, so we still need writers to come in. Uh, I, I think you got to be realistic, and I think you should be realistic about your abilities and your talents. Um, that's possibly the biggest challenge because a lot of people aren't realistic as we're seeing now. <laughs> uh, but you have to be stubborn. You have to have a lot of self-belief uh, and you have to not give up. And yeah. obviously you should have some talent and you should hone your craft and, you know, read widely because I think the more widely read you are, the better writer you'll be. I mean, I grew up with books. I started reading from, you know, the minute I learned how to read in first grade, I was reading. And not even children's books. I mean, at elementary school, I was already reading adult books. But uh, 
yeah, that's that's all I can say is is really do you do need to have a lot of self belief because there's so many people out there who want to put you down. So do you think if you had your time back, would you do writing again, or have you seen sort of things through your career that you wished maybe you went down a different path, or have you generally been happy? Um, I I think I'd still do this but on but on, from a practical perspective and it had circumstances be, been different and you know different place different time whatever i think probably i would have been better off going into the tech industry <laughs> yeah especially over the bloody west coast there like- yeah silicon valley and all that yeah definitely being a, a tech entrepreneur is the way to go yeah because you've done a, a good few techie things now you've had video blogs and blogs left right and center you true still time still time not really i mean i don't have that the background in in tech i don't you know i mean even with uh, websites and everything i'm just winging it i mean i i know a little bit of code like how to do a break and (laughs) you know i mean i'm not a tech person uh but i mean you know these people whose brains are wired for this and they come up with apps and they come up with software and they write code i mean i don't even this is like outer space to me yeah, certainly not certainly. me. I'm the one using the apps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not making the apps. Exactly, yeah. So, Mitzi, that's probably a good little point to wrap up. Where could we find you online and find out and buy Father Gothic? Do you want to give you a little plug um, there for the end? Well, uh, of course, Amazon. It'll be available on Amazon. Uh, it'll be available um, at uh Gosh, well, you know, I'd say pretty much any any major bookseller you can find it, and uh, is it'll be more widely distributed after the print book comes out. But uh, yeah, just find it'll be there. It'll be there wherever you go. Look, you'll find it somewhere. But Amazon's the first port of call, obviously. Um, and then I, I do have a website, mitzisoretto.com, and uh, you could find me there with all my information, book links, etc., information about books, what I'm doing, my Twitter, my Facebook, whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, super duper. We'll have it all in the show notes anyway. But it's nice to just air it yourself and you know give your own little flavor to it exactly yeah yeah so i um, so, so yeah i mean that's basically it i mean uh there's just uh, as long as people find me and they find my books that makes me happy and um and i, I should get in a plug as well because I'd, I'd mentioned to you that i'm a big advocate of um a, uh, animal rescue and all of that yes so yeah, uh, yeah so i try to uh <laughs> promote them when I can as well. And I, you know, one of the things I wish I could make enough money that I can go and start my own animal rescue. I think I'd be happy doing that. How many animals have you rescued over the years? Well, I haven't actually rescued any, but what I do is I, I volunteer uh, when I can. I donate when I can. I, I do a lot of cross-posting. I got involved with someone. When I was living in England, I had a 2 a.m. conversation with a lady in Baltimore, Maryland, who was an animal rescuer. And we came up with a, uh, a site, uh, a Charlie to the Rescue site, where we would do cross-posting. So I got involved with that. Um, I do support quite a few of the charities and, uh, for instance, in the UK, Dogs Trust and the Mayhew, those those two charities uh, here in the States, uh, National Mill Dog Rescue is one, uh, Tales of Joy, which uh, comedian Elaine Boozler, that's her, she set up at that rescue. So I don't know if you know Elaine Boozler, but she's quite funny. Um, 
North Shore Animal League, which is in Long Island, New York. You know Howard Stern, his wife's very busy. That's that's like her baby. She's very active with that charity. And then uh, a little rescue, TLC Humane Society in Dahlonega, Georgia. I used to uh, uh, work with them and still support them when I can. And so that's that's something that's very close to my heart. And you know, as I said, I, I wish I could be like some of these famous celebrities who made so much money that they could basically give everything up and just start a rescue or a charity. I think that'd be great. Yeah, that is great. And just to touch on that, why did you go down the route of animals as opposed to, we'll say, um, humanitarian charities? I, <laughs> well, I I prefer animals <laughs> to people, really. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a dog any day, you know, let me hang out with a dog. I could take people I could take or leave, <laughs> which I shouldn't say because the people are the ones who buy my books, but <laughs> <laughs> the dogs aren't buying the books, but that's, you know, maybe some are, but um, I don't, you know, I've always loved animals. I, I, I don't know. There's just, when I see a dog, I'm one of these people, when I'm out somewhere and there's a dog, I have to go meet the dog. That's okay. I know people yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just love animals and, and I just have, somebody's got to um, make their lives better. I mean, God knows they they suffer at the hands of people. So it's our responsibility to turn that around. Yes. That's a great message to end on there. Mitzi, thank you very much for coming on the show. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much for having me. Hello everyone, welcome to the end of the show. That was my chat with Mitzi, I hope you enjoyed it. If you made it this far, there will be links in the show notes for everything for the new book, Florida Gothic, which should be on virtual shelves by the time this airs. And for me, you can find me, as always, on Twitter, at The Fear Merchant. Chime in with using hashtag TheBizarreCast and... For everything else, there's thefearmerchant.com. Leave those reviews, keep on listening, share the love, and until next time, be good and be safe. Come back at a time.